thank you to this week's sponsor of TNG Coaching. TNG Coaching's vision is to teach values through activity and experience, to guide creativity, instill confidence, champion self-worth, and celebrate identity. This journey begins by reflecting on our own performance, by collecting our thoughts and feelings on paper. Both positive and negative, we begin to discern ways to respond to challenges. Opening a personal dialogue and sharing concerns has been proven to create deeper bonds with peers. Journaling how these relationships evolve can help assign roles and build the support structure every team needs to function effectively. When complete, your journal will stand as a lasting reminder of your commitment to your cause and your ambition for personal and professional growth. You can find the Coach's Journal on Amazon through the link or go to png.coach for more information. Welcome to Recess Duty, a podcast for educators to come together to share struggles, but also celebrate successes by sharing stories and ideas in a safe and supportive environment to collaborate with one another. Here's your host, Levi Allison. Hey everyone, this is Recess Duty with your host, Levi Allison. And today we're talking with leader, mom, and ally, Leah Pedlow. We'll be discussing their journey and experience in education. Thank you so much for joining us, Leah. How are you doing today? Thank you, Levi, for that very detailed introduction. Who knew that meeting in a hotel in Bangkok a few years ago would lead to such a wonderful friendship that's definitely grown me as well, getting to know you and seeing all that you're doing. So um, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here and a part of this incredible work that you're doing. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. And to give everybody a little bit of context, we (laughs) met in the lobby of the hotel that we were staying in when we were at a job fair. And we we had a mutual friend that Mm. is now in Canada. She's back. She's in Canada, Mm -hmm. right? And and we became friends and we chat all the time. So yes, it is it's amazing what a little bit of a workshop or conference can blossom years later down the road. Yeah, sure. Chance encounters. There you go. So Leah, for our listeners out there, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am um, currently the PYP coordinator at Vienna International School. I moved here from Dubai, where I was also a coordinator at a international school. And before that, I was an IB teacher for about seven years. So I've spent the majority of my time as an educator and leader in international school settings. I did also work in the UK before that. And so as I have developed as a leader, I've started to see how education changes in different contexts. It's been really interesting when you think of the Middle East and innovation is such a big focus, and then you're moving Um, to Europe, where there is a focus on an institutionalized understanding of the IBPYP at my school, because we've been within the system or framework for so long, it's really interesting how these two concepts in terms of innovative teaching and learning practices, as well as research-based understandings can be merged. And that's what I'm currently very passionate about, is seeing how we can meld the two together so that we are responsive learners and teachers within our communities. Absolutely. And, you know, having worked in the Middle East myself, I do 
I, I definitely connect with that there is a really big push for innovation there. And now moving to Asia, I see a lot of very much of making sure that we're aligning everything with standards and making sure it mm-hmm. is contextually and content and conceptual mm. breadth and depth. So when you're looking at merging, how's that going? I think at the basis of any form of change, it always is relying on the dynamic of relationships with the people that you're working with. So you have to invest significantly into those relationships. And then you can start asking the question, why? And that allows you to open a door for suggestions or looking at the enhanced PYP with a critical eye and then thinking about our own practices and asking questions about are they innovative and are they meeting the needs for our students? Because over time um, with technology, for instance, there's been so much change and it's about, for me at least as a leader, it's being very analytical with the changes that we're bringing into the classroom or innovative practices like robotics, for instance, and making sure that they're purposeful. So if you're asking those two questions about purpose and then responsiveness to the student body or population that you have, you're able to move practice along at a pace that is meeting the demands of your student population. It's definitely not easy, I would say. I think um, it's very, it's slow and well thought out, really does support change. And so I've found it really interesting and for myself as a leader, challenging professionally to really ask myself the questions about why and how and and really thinking conceptually about change. And then how do you support other adults in, in that process as well? Because you're moving from tried, tested and true to um, new and undocumented or uncharted kind of ways of working together and so it's it's been really powerful i think no absolutely and it's just i totally can see what you're doing on twitter and seeing how that's working because Mm. it is tough because we all are on you know when we think of our own journey as a as an educator and Mm. then coming from an x background and then looking at it as an ib educator and that is tough you know unless you grew up in an ib system it is it is a new way and it is tough to understand we're all on a different process so how do we all you know move for next steps and look how to grow and like you said relationships are the foundation of which we Mm -hmm. have to we have to build upon how do you build those relationships for to empower trust with students and colleagues to help your teachers grow Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you asked that question because it does bring into context a little bit about when you were talking about me as being an ally. Um, I think part of my personality is to really value people from all ethnicities, races, um, sexual orientation in my heart because I I care for people. Mm -hmm. And so I think as an... as having those foundational skills of wanting the best for others and really being an ally and in support of them. I think that's helped me see the value of all people. I I was thinking about this, Tonya and I were having um, 
a Twitter discussion about being open-minded means that people with different perspectives can still both be right. And so how do you model yeah. that? How do you model that when you're leading change? So you want a change to happen and somebody has a different perspective about that change. How are we honoring that they can still be right? But as a school, we understand that as a collective, we do have to make some changes that um, maybe there is not an 100% of us that all agree on that, but how do you support people to be willing to at least try something? And I think that's removing that fear of failure and having it be um, non-judgmental type of changes and really coaching those conversations through by modeling that we're empathetic, caring, and we we value others. So I think that's at the start of it. Is And then having... Um, really innovative ideas that people are like interested and excited about. Like, yeah. um, you you know, we've just created this whole school who we are unit where it specifically addresses um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, as well as social emotional learning. It has the same central idea for all of our grades. And that's really a, at our school, something that's very innovative because it's never been done before, but also very interesting for us to really honor the fact that we want to, create a culture of belonging. And so we're then aligning our curriculum and our unit to facilitate that. Mm. And what a powerful statement for you as educators to lead that charge mm. for your own students. You know, I always say, you know, if we're asking our students to do something, we should as practitioners and learners ourselves be perfectly okay with doing that. You know, mm. if I'm asking my students to take a risk and try something new, that I need to also take a risk and try something new. One of the, I went to a workshop and I cannot remember who it was, but one of the, one of the workshops leaders comments was how many of you share your learning with your students? Mm. I was like, Oh, um, nope. <laughs> and I was just like, I didn't even think about that. Like to show that you are also learning. And to your students. And I was just like, that's amazing. What an amazing way of doing that for your faculty and your staff mm. and your students and your parent community. What mm. are some other ways that you're leading by example in your own lives? Um, I think my daughter and I, we just started volunteering at a Syrian refugee kind of oh. educational institute to teach them English um, or to support the teacher to teach them English because we're native English speakers. And so um, I think that's one of the ways that at least I model to my own child about yeah. how we need to, um, if we have to practice what we preach, right, we can't say that we are all for inclusion and um, equality and we can then practice that into our, our own lives. So we've just started that and that's been um it's been interesting because it's a learning experience for myself as well, going back to how do we teach English? <laughs> to kids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, very powerful, I think, experience as well in that we realize that we're part of such a diverse um, community here in Vienna, but all over the world. And there are people that have... Um, that are looking for others like ourselves to take action and, and really be the voice that we say that we are. So if we're modeling the learner profile attributes, what does that look like in our lives outside of school? Yeah. So that's been really powerful. I think something that we've started doing and, and it's brought her and I closer in terms of our understanding of being servants, servants to others or having a servant heart. It's been, it's been fun. <laughs> no. And, you know, again, like seeing, what you're doing is just very inspirational and 
knowing that you are doing it in an authentic and genuine way. And also like Mm -hmm. sharing that time with your daughter, how like, what an amazing, what amazing bonding moment. You know, we're all on this journey of what DEI injustice Mm -hmm. is. What do you wish you would have known when you started on your journey? So I'm South African, for those that don't know, um, and I'm white and I'm, I'm a woman and I uh, have a- absolutely attributed the, many of the successes in my life to the fact that I do have white privilege, um, uh, being able to access a learning institutions like universities, um, then tertiary education or my master's being in a position, a leadership position may, some of it may be down to the fact that I'm, I'm white and I'm, and I'm female. And so um, just seeing that in international education, um, we know that there's been a lot of really um, difficult conversations that we've had to have with ourselves too. When we look at it at our school leadership structure or our school leaders what are the demographics of those and what are we doing to bring about change and so I think that the first step is always recognizing that you have a problem or that there is something that we need to work on and then the second one is is creating um, action plans or really um, analyzing your community so for us that's going to look like having opportunities for whole school discussion about what do these terms mean for us? Like what does diversity mean? What does equality mean? What does inclusion mean? And then thinking about our current practices and being analytical about those and then incorporating ways to provide more access to our school and our curriculum for a wider variety of people and leaders and teachers of different ethnic cultural um, backgrounds as well as um, sexual orientation or um, how are we empowering women. I know that um, I follow Angelina Ao often. She's such an inspiration to me um, with regards to addressing these concepts in European context. And I think also when we say that we're committed to DEIJ um, and we want to create a culture of belonging, then you have to, you can't say that and then assume that it's going to start happening. You have to be proactive. And that's where the whole who we are unit and changing that came from. Because just saying, oh, it is happening and we are having these conversations with our students, it's not enough. It's like you have to put your, you have to really put your energy behind what you want, you want change to happen. And so um, I've been very fortunate in my context that I had a, the, that I have the support of the principal and assistant principal and the head of school with regards to making sure that those changes are happening and are evident. And then I think just having conversations with people and being courageous in in setting boundaries or um, I hate the term calling somebody out, but like just if you notice so you if you notice someone's 
um, maybe attitude or something, being able to courageously have a conversation with somebody in an empathetic way that just says, I don't know if you realize how that could make somebody feel. Or, or what, when you say that, what do you, what's the, why, why are you saying that? I think, um, or behaving in a certain way. It's just, I think we, we everybody's so at, at this point in time, everyone is so, um, I think cautious in, in like addressing something that we notice is happening because we want to not hurt people's feelings or being, first of all, not necessarily create conflict. But is that, is that really part of being an ally? Like when we just, when we try and change our own behaviors, but we're not also then addressing what we see in others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, but it's very complex, right? It's, it's so, and it's very personal, you know, even as a white person, like the real understanding of um black lives and and what like any type of experience that they've had like it 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 makes me feel so i think really in my heart so help me with the term levi (laughs) i feel so like like it's heavy on me yeah like i feel so much uh, accountability that's the word i feel so much accountability for any like things that I've maybe done in the past, but even moving forward, accountability to raise my child in a way that she's inclusive and she honors people's diversity. And she, you know, I think that's just really very important for me. There are so many things like listening to your story. I was just so enamored and engaged because I think there's, there's so many things to unpack in there and there is, like we do want to be diverse and equitable and inclusive and making sure that we're making just justified decisions, but we're always teetering on this complex issue and you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I love drag queens. And I, when you were talking about this, I listened to one of the, a podcast from one of the drag queens called Bob the drag queen. And he said, we're in the age of being anti-racist. Mm. We cannot be not racist. We have to be anti-racist. Yeah. And he says, because there is so much part of it being ingrained, that's a lot of times people have no idea of the impact of the words that they're having. Mm-hmm. And we have to put ourselves in, you know, we come back to that perspective, that key concept of perspective of knowing that, you know, how we talk and how we reflect and how our attitude is going to impact somebody else. And I think that's really powerful. And I think we do need to have those discussions with our kids and the earlier, the better about what yeah. does it mean? You know, Tanya at our very first episode of the recess duty said, you know, the basis of wisdom is the, the accepting of uh, terms. You know, what does diversity mean for our school mm-hmm. in our context? And, you know, knowing that our terms here in South Korea is going to be very different for mm-hmm. yours in Vienna. And, you know, what does it mean to be inclusive? Like is inclusive this or is inclusive that, or is it a melding of two? You know, what does it mean to be just justice? What does it mean to be having justice? Is justice something you can have? And I think you're absolutely right. And it is a very complex issue that, you know, we are in education are are slowly overcoming and slowly Mm -hmm. trying to break down some of these barriers. Because again, it is complex. How are you 
breaking down some of these barriers? How are you navigating this complex issue? I have to first um, acknowledge that you don't, we currently, and in my capacity, didn't have enough knowledge. So I read um, this incredible book. It's called Teaching When the World is on Fire by Lisa Delpit. It's just remarkable. Mm. Um, And it gives you all sorts of strategies, but also really defines all sorts of social economic type of um, prejudice that can occur. It's just, it's very, um, it's very in an in-depth analysis of discrimination. And it, it really helps you to have a better understanding of exactly why we're at this juncture where we're at. And then after reading that or following um, people on Twitter, um, like the ECIS, the Women in Leadership, um, on Twitter, as well as Angelina Au, like I was saying, there's a whole, and Nancy Lux, there's a whole group of women really that are exploring leadership in our international school context from a, from a female perspective. But once you start to read and then engage in dialogue with others, I think the starting point is just saying, we ha- well, just acknowledging that we have so much work to do in making sure that we are honoring that concept of global citizenship. And I think really DEIJ really defines that, that, understanding of what global citizenship is because we often i think we often use the term global citizens and we're we're being we're creating um communities that honor and support global citizenship but like defining really what that means is quite challenging and i think we already have a gateway to that through dij and i i'm <clears throat> and then it's just making sure that you have people that are around you that are passionate about the things that you're passionate about, yeah. Yeah. you know? So uh, just, um, just, yeah, creating small mini communities within your school of people that are equally interested in and all are for um, DEIJ. That's been the most, the most beneficial and and we had a, our our school head of school that um has just moved to america lisa biasillo she was really a key influencer in getting our school to start thinking about this and so i'm very appreciative to her impact while she was here with us mm-hmm. uh what it would be if all leaders were so much more willing to have these difficult conversations and just being like well you know what Let's let's head on. We're all going to band together, but it's for mm-hmm. our students and we're going to do it well. What is one thing teachers tomorrow can do in their classroom to be more aware and more of an ally for DEIJ? I think it's within conversations, how you refer to students. Mm-hmm. That's like the immediate like change that you can start to make um, instead of boys and girls, like. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm yeah. just changing the way that you think of the students in your class. Um, we've just, fit, we're currently in the middle of um, responsive classroom training, which is also um, bringing a lot of <clears throat> the morning meeting understanding of when we're setting our students up for success. Within the morning meeting, we value we name and we honor the individuals in our class. And so every child engages in some form of welcome at the start of the day. And that is so powerful. Yeah. You know, spending time, like 
spending time at the start of the day, not just the hi everybody, and then everybody comes in and then you immediately move into like today we're learning. Mm-hmm. It's just spending that initial 10 to 15 minutes, like having them engage in some form of activity that that shares a little bit of who they are with somebody new in their class. Yeah. Is I think it's just so powerful. 100 percent And I I sit here in acknowledgement because we are all also here at Chadwick a responsive school with responsive classroom. And I have gone through responsive classroom training. And when I was coming up with podcast names, there are two of my favorite ones in recess duty, obviously one, but morning meeting almost happened because, (laughs) because I absolutely love seeing that 10 to 15 minutes of kids unstructured. It's not unstructured, but it is definitely not learning focused. It's more of who are you? community building, family oriented, moral upbringing, moral positive impact. And I absolutely loved it. I I try to get into as many classrooms because I am a specialist. I don't have a typical morning meeting, but I try to get in as many as I can, just because, you know, some of the games they play are so, so exciting and it's just so much fun. Mm. And I am so glad you brought that up because I haven't told anyone that story because a morning meeting almost happened. It really did. (laughs) But uh, recess duty, recess duty won out. It won out. It really did. So Leah, what is, you know, you know, we're talking about being better and we're talking about, you know, growing Mm -hmm. and we're all, we're all on this journey. Mm -hmm. What is, and we're all failure. And I'll tell you what my failure was. What was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? through this, or maybe not failure. I always like to say detour. What was a detour that you was unexpected? Specifically with DIJ? No, just in general. Um, just in general. <laughs> um, I think not, like not necessarily a huge detour, but recognizing that I was becoming complacent in my previous context. Mm-hmm. So complacency breeds that and I would like to think that I do have an innovative spirit as well as um, a drive to do what's best for students and I think um, at the end of my contract there I realized that I had I spent a lot of time initially because it was a startup school putting in place structures systems um, really working to define who we were and but I wasn't necessarily being as challenged as I could be professionally and then um, when you recognize that you can either two choices, right? You can either stay in the context that you're in and, and, and be more or less comfortable, or you can <clears throat> be courageous and, and look for a different, a different experience that is going to once again, revitalize and refresh you. And so I think that was just a good choice for me to make at that time because I'd been in the Middle East for 11 years and it was definitely time either for a change out into a different school or for uh, into a different context. And so I was very fortunate sure. yeah, to, to move that way too. I think also just rec- – and then I think also what I learned had to learn when I moved here is um, pacing. I think like being in the Middle East, the pace is so fast and, and you can you can change the way that you're doing things quite significantly over a short period of time uh, versus at least in a European context, the pace is much slower. So I had to I had to really look at, at myself and 
and analyze the thing, the change that I wanted to bring, mm-hmm. whether or not it would be supportive in our school context. And um, there are some things that I've realized uh, over the time being here is that you really have to choose and be very um, specific about what you want to do and why, and then choose, choose, be very analytical and choose one or two smaller things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it comes back to being so, purposeful. Yes. So I, I would say like in, in the Middle East, it's much easier to just go, boom, 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 boom. oh, there's this new thing and there's that new way of teaching. And let's have more robotics and let's do more coding and um, let's use your green screen room and your AI. Um, how are we incorporating AI and learning by AI? Or um, I think it was really easy to get caught up into that pace. And now I have this great opportunity to really slow down and match the pace of the school in some aspects and then bring about change while still recognizing like you're saying purpose making sure that it's purposeful because we're education changes so quickly and i think we need to be careful that we are making research-based decisions oh for sure and because Because, i know mm -hmm. sorry go on I was just like, yes, I totally agree. Yeah. I think asking yourself, what evidence do I have that supports what I want to change or um, a, a way of looking at learning and teaching is thinking about trends over time, making sure that you're making research-based decisions um, that are actually really going to impact student progress and attainment and and what works not what's the new buzzword um and so i think like uh, we're learning a little bit when i've been i'm looking through twitter about agency and i think i I do support the concept of agency and voice choice and ownership and it does give students more um efficacy and um, allows them to really own their learning. But I think like initially when agency, when the concept of agency was shared, people just dove right in and then gave kids all, <laughs> all, all the choices, <laughs> all the options. <laughs> and that like, I think that can be detrimental because you, we had a great conversation with Tanya now this week in PYP chat, and I'm sure you were leading it as well, is um, about choice for students and and how important the scaffolding process of choice is, like teaching yeah. kids to make wise choices. And that, and that's, I think, a little bit of the understanding of guided inquiry mm-hmm. is coming into, is connecting to choice for me, uh, where I am personally. And that ties back into what you were saying earlier about, you know, two people having different perspectives still being correct, you know, Two students choosing two different choices, but also knowing that they don't need to be the same choice. Mm -hmm. You need to have a choice that is going to help you as a learner. And Mm -hmm. I told how many times have we been on Twitter or LinkedIn or something and we've (laughs) seen this new product, let's use this. And then, and then this new product, (laughs) this new book and and like, it was just like, Oh, do we, do we even know if this product works? Do we know if this yeah. idea works? Can we can we take a breather? 
you know, because we are currently doing really great work. I truly believe this. I think educators around the globe in whatever context they're doing is doing great work. And do we all have room to grow? Absolutely. But is a product or a service or a book, or is it, is it going to be the end all be all save us all? No. What is going to do that is little drips of information here and there, helping us grow, helping us move from one step to the next step, or to give our students a little bit more of that agency in a very structured and, you know, supportive environment Mm -hmm. that's going to make the most impact. You know, you know, we've, I've seen hundreds of times of, you know, of educators saying, oh, I support agency. I give all my students the choices. And I always ask them, is that choice supporting their learning? How do you know? And um, and that is just a and it's a it's a conversation to open with dialogue. But I totally I totally agree with you about you know making research based decisions and you know mm-hmm. making sure that we're asking what is the purpose of this? What is how are we going to support this? And you know it, tying it back to DEIJ, you know what is the purpose? If we are going to handle this complex decision, what is our purpose? What is our goal of it? How are we going to do it? And when will we know, you know, teach it just like our, you know, our conceptual understandings. How will we know when we got there? Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a moment that we will get there? Is this something that is, I am done? Of course not. So how do we make sure we are continuing to grow? Yeah, that responsive, responsive learning and teaching um, and the willingness to, I think, document learning over time. Like we, talk about the enhanced PYP and the focus on documenting, measuring, reporting, and monitoring learning. And documenting learning is where you're going to really get the anecdotal evidence for the decisions that you've made as a teacher. But then how are we triangulating that to ensure that our internal um, anecdotal evidence is in alignment with external evidence? I think for me, thinking about I know there's many critics of John Hattie's work but I think like he's one of the only people that have done such a large study and I understand it was based on in some aspects standardized testing but I think like when now every time they come like an update to the knowing the impact type of thing an update to what is really impacting students progress and attainment it just draws like feedback for learning is is essentially really what I believe in and that has evidence behind it so then now let's make a move towards providing better feedback so that our students become better self-adjusters right so mm. and it's going from feedback to feed forward right and getting yes. that and yep. just what is what how are we going to grow you know yes. having you know I just got done with that uh an IV workshop by the amazing Alyssa Smith and uh, uh-huh. Nina Nina Del Carmen, Alyssa Smith and Nina Del Carmen, and amazing evidence learning, evidencing learning. I highly recommend it because it was talking about self-adjusting, feedback to feed forward, <clears throat> growth-minded feedback. And it was just, it was really powerful. You know, it was soft, it was, it really made us think about where are we in our journey? Again, how can we do something tomorrow to be a little bit more forward thinking and such like that? We're like on the same path, you and me, because we just also finished evidencing learning. Oh, yeah? That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So, Leah, thank you so much for coming. 
please tell people where they can find you to connect with you to continue growing. So my two professional platforms would be LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I have the most unprofessional, I feel, Twitter name, and it's Looney Libra. I don't know. It's the main, it's the best. It's the best. <laughs> Clearly that was when I was in my early twenties and Twitter was just <laughs> created where I was like, ah, oh, this is who I'm going to be. Um, and so, yes, I'm very, I, I would say I'm the most active on Twitter and I, I really engage. I love connecting with new educators, learning new things about people, having rich dialogues, Yumi and Tonya, um, other, like I, Anne Van Dam and I um, spend, we're currently working together at our school and, and just following her and her insights into the early learner in the hands PYP, the best professional development as an educator that is free is on Twitter. Like, oh, I agree. engaging with people is just it's really remarkable so please yes contact me on on twitter and I, I would love to get to know anybody better as an educator so that we can collaboratively develop an understanding of what's best for kids of course and all of those links will be in the show notes below so please go and collect our favorite Looney Libra over here. <laughs> Leah, what do you, we ask all friends here at the recess studio? What do you remember about recess growing up? Okay. So um, at our school, this is very interesting, connects quite well to my personality. At our school, we were into um, imaginative game creation or like movie depiction. And I can remember for an entire semester, we reenacted Greece. I don't know how many times with changing the characters. And then one day you'd be a pink lady and the other day you would be. And so uh, I, that really is a standout memory for me about how often we portrayed Greece because it had just come out when I think I was maybe like seven or eight and we were just reenacting and reenacting yeah. it was it was inspiring inspired imaginative play there you go <laughs> way to be yeah. so imaginative at such a young age that's awesome Very yeah cool. no it was fun <laughs> thank you leah for coming to this week's episode of recess duty be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode i'm leva allison and i hope you have a great day everybody thank you. bye thank you for listening to recess duty make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes in the meantime please share this podcast with other educators so they can join the fun and that is the end of our recess duty